to the SLS Cast with Matt and Tim. The SLS Cast is a podcast featuring in-depth takes on various topics, ranging from genre discussion to filmmakers and the movies they make. On this episode, we'll be discussing the sixth installment in Andy Sedaris' Triple B series of films, which is Do or Die, released on January 28th, 1991. Before we begin, if you'd like to connect with us, you can find our show over at slscast.com on Spotify, iTunes, and other podcast directories. We're also on Twitter at the SLScast, and you can always send us an email to the show at slscast.com. Now that we've got that out of the way, Welcome, cinephiles, and we hope you enjoy the show. Welcome again to the SLS cast with Matt and Tim. I'm Matt. And this is Tim. Today we're kicking off one of our favorite segments, Creme de la Crap, with Andy Sedaris' sixth installment in his Bullets, Bombs, and Babes series, also called Triple B, Do or Die, which was released in 1991. The film stars the likes of Pat Morita, Eric Estrada, and Donna Spear, who returns for her fifth Jeep ride as Donna Hamilton. Do or Die, a new kind of game. I have hired six teams of assassins. You are their quarry. Pat Morita stars as Kane, an international crime lord with a score to settle. You are dead. Nothing to it. Right. Starring Eric Estrada, Donna Spear, Roberta Vasquez, Bruce Penhall, and Pat Morita as Kane. We get hazardous duty pay for this. I hope we live long enough to spend it. Do or die. Get the job done. All right, so as you heard there and you have been uh, and has been repeatedly noted, this is uh, the, I want to say based on what we've been doing and what we've covered over the, over the years, this is probably peak Sedaris fame, I think right here. When you are getting the likes of uh, Pat Morita, you're getting Eric Estrada to come in. And actually, this was Eric Estrada's second uh, round here with uh, the Sedaris films. Playing a different character this time. He's he's a goodie in yeah, this film. Yeah, he was a good guy. Yeah, he's a good guy this time around. Good luck, Corporal. That's Colonel. Not when I get through with you. It, it was definitely, you could see that the craft itself had finally become honed to the point that he thought he could actually begin to break into the mainstream. And what is so interesting about this movie is that it it, it is so close to the greatness that is Hard Ticket to Hawaii, and yet it comes just so short. It comes up just short enough. Now, when I say that, what I mean is... Andy Sedaris, uh, when you go back and you watch his filmography, he had a series of 12 movies where he 
uh, he basically did these the, all these different films. And what was so crazy about him is that they just terrible. Like you don't even know how the heck he got into being able to make it a, a film at all. How how we get money? Where where did the money come from for this? And you see this in Malibu Express, and then he gets a little bit better, but not much in Hard Ticket to Hawaii, which I would still argue is probably the greatest of all the movies we've seen so far. It's definitely the most ridiculous. Yes, and and what happens with Picasso Trigger is he actually starts to learn his craft. So the problem becomes not that the movies get better. It's just the movie making gets better. So now you are left with nothing but looking at the flaws in the story, the flaws in the acting and what have you. And so the movies stop being so bad they're good and are just bad. And when you get to do or die, I was I was like, it was like a dream come true because um, the movie starts... And the ADR is real. Like, you can totally tell that whatever music is being played at this luau is not the music you are hearing. But he has done such a good job of trying to put crowd sounds back in and watching the entire crowd wave their, uh, you know, their, their little when when you make your little surfer dude hang ten with the think with the thumb and the pinky and everybody oh the hang ready, loose the hang loose there you go <laughs> and nobody's in time like the crowd no one in crowd is in time yeah they're doing a themselves. hang loose version of the concert hand wave yeah. 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 Um yeah, instead of using lighters, right? You know. And the best part is that not only is no one in time with themselves in the crowd, they're not even remotely in time with the music you're listening to. So, here you are, so you automatically get this uh to start. And then of course we have our two uh primary lethal ladies, right? Uh Donna and Nicole, Donna played by Donna Spear who's been in all of them so far. Or at least I'm sorry, in the 2 through 6 at this point. It's like out of the blue. Hey, we need you to come over here real quick. And so he goes and all it is is just to meet Pat Morita who's like you've disrupted my plans enough. Now I must kill you. I know you two are government agents. You have caused my organization so much misery, grief. I am compelled to kill you. You kill us, you won't get ten yards from here. And so then through this most convoluted thing where they put a little sticky dot on the back of Donna's watch, which somehow she's not supposed to know got put there, um, they're now being tracked as Pat Morita's henchman, uh... Kane, his name is Mas- uh, Masakana Kanashiro. Um, he's got six hitman teams coming to get him. And if they can survive, well, we don't have to worry about that because no one's ever survived. This And this is all in like the first three and a half minutes of the movie. And so now they get to go. And 
And it's just so ridiculous that now, oh my gosh, we're back, we're back. But the filmmaking is actually halfway decent now because Sedaris kind of has an idea of how to hold a camera and how to hold a shot and how to actually pan a shot and how to fit people in the shot. (laughs) So... This is all, this is all good, but the story is back to being so ridiculous, just like it was in Hard Ticket to Hawaii, that I'm like, wow, laughing my ass off. I'm gonna need some time to formulate a plan. Norm will give you your orders when you get there. Donna, if Kane revealed himself to you, he intends to see you dead. You're in a do or die situation. Well, it won't be the first time. So, this is fantastic. And then, and then, the movie really kicks off. And so you just get this complete... Nothing makes sense. And that's fine, but you... And and it's fine in the fact that it's funny that nothing makes sense. For example, somehow um, Nicole got hurt in the scuffle, and so she hurts her leg in the scuffle at the beginning of the movie, and so she needs a cane um in the next scene but the cane is really a gun it's a mini it's not just a gun it's a mini rocket rocket launcher launcher. yeah yeah and so as soon as she uses the mini rock and and the best part was is so she gets in and she needs this cane getting into the vehicle or whatever then the now they're being chased down and everything and she gets out of the uh the jeep makes sure to grab the cane, but then runs with the cane, not using the cane at all. So now it's just like, ha, 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 this is funny. It's so bad. Um, But then she uses the cane as the mini rocket launcher, which is even like, oh, you've got to be kidding me so bad. The best part of this scene was that the first inkling that trouble is happening is that they're actually using a shot-for-shot remake of the rocket launcher scene in Hard Ticket to Hawaii, coming down the same oh. stretch of road in the same Jeep with the same helicopter coming around the back end. I was like, are they just using the same footage? But no, they just reshot it. Maybe I was um, just so captivated that they're still, that Donna is still driving that same effing red Jeep <laughs> for the past six years or so. She seems like a pretty successful uh you know lady in in you know within the cia maybe she could afford a, a newer model but what yeah. is this movie about i don't think we really gave it a a great synopsis that's it but that's just it i did give you the synopsis these two women have to survive kane's henchmen that's yes. it now, that, if you it. if you want a more, I guess, a professional synopsis that tells you the exact same information, but in a better way, you know, <laughs> uh, according to BFI.org, so www.bfi.org, for this film, this is the word-for-word synopsis. A pair of beautiful CIA agents are informed that there are six two-man teams of assassins after them. A prelude for world domination by an international villain. The end. And in this movie... Okay, I can't really talk about this without talking about the idea of both Eric Estrada being in another sex scene that I I can witness, and then even Pat Morita being in a sex scene. He was in a shiatsu scene. It says here there are 200 bones in the human body. Make that 
201. Not for long. He he was, but there were at least... I know, there's a couple scenes where they're like kind of maybe or whatever. Yeah, it's like, like, oh, oh shit, like this could happen. Like I might see Pat Marie... Not that, I'm not saying because I want to see it, but oh God, I hope I don't see it. But what we get instead are uh, Pat and Rita's, like, sexy porn moans. Yeah. Yeah, like, you get a lot of it. I will say this. When they ask him at the beginning of the movie and he announces, you know, the plan that he's going to have him killed, you know, with these six teams of assassins, and they just, like... Who are you? The first, I'm just waiting for him to say, I'm motherfucking Mr. Miyagi. That's, that's pretty much all I'm waiting for him to say. But then I'm normal. He, he actually says who he is, but you know me as Kane. So, but then you get his pleasure moans. Yeah. There, the, the pleasure uh-huh. moans are definitely uh-huh. some, something else but what i do like going back to the whole the reasoning of the film which does not make sense at all uh there's a scene where you think pat marita is about to have a little bone fest with his assistant named silk i i I think yes carolyn lou who is also by the end of the movie turns out to be a double agent i guess which boggles the mind as to why is all this happening? Why didn't well, why didn't that's why she needed, do this yeah. earlier? Well, that's what I'm finishing here. Hang on, I just let me jump into this last thing. Remember the mini the the Kane rocket launcher? How could I forget? Yeah. Okay. So she fires the rocket launcher, blows up the helicopter, and then the Kane just disappears. Like after that, the Kane was like, so this is the whole thing. It's like, wait a minute. So was the limp needing a Kane a ruse? And, but you really got your leg hurt in the fight because they show it in the scene. So much like Silk becoming a double agent, which, wait, she wasn't the whole time. This is why the movie stops making sense, even when it's funny. I don't, I you know. Anyways, I'm sorry. So go ahead. Sorry. Well, no, because it was probably like Andy Sedaris going, oh, there's softcore porn. There's... Uh, there, there's a we we have a lovely scene here where this woman is 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 doing the bony thing in a in a fountain, but it looks like the most awkward looking sex softcore porn scene ever because it looks like it's free. You can see people's breaths, you can see people breathing. It's that cold, and then the lady is like choking on the water. It's very uncomfortable to see. But no, according to Andy Sedaris, people are going to be into seeing playmates. Not being into these soft course porn scenes, but therefore the the cane and the double agent happening, you know, audiences will not care about that because they want to see, they want to see either Eric Estrada attempting sexiness, which is awful. And again, uh, the entire time, there's a couple moments where he's trying to be sexy or flirting and you're like, oh God, is this going to lead to a sex scene? No, 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 no. Until the third time it does and he is he is way more into it than the lady he's with. I will say that. But what gets me is that they decide to throw away the reasoning of Pat Morita's characters, his evil plan. They throw it away randomly when he is like talking sexy and whatnot to his assistant. You think there's going to be a bone fest, but no. You find out 
that his entire scheme is about influencing the United States Stock Exchange? We must keep in mind that our business here in Hawaii is the first step towards manipulating the American stock market. It's very simple, really. It has to do with a game I call risk tolerance. Risk tolerance? Mm. For instance, in the game of commerce, the risk tolerance is money. In the game of death, the risk tolerance is human life. In the game of romance, the risk tolerance is you. Don't ask me. I'm still sitting here trying to figure out how this whole computer program that's projected on the wall is using a physical hard map, like a truly physical, physical map with a little hole drilled in it that has the red light light up and the green light light up. But then they just go back and show it before they put the green light in to make the green light go away. That, yeah, I mean... Practical effects, baby. Matt is talking about the For Your Eyes Only death game. Uh, there, <laughs> there, there is a computer set up <laughs> that apparently uh, is the, uh, oh, what is it called when, oh, cock block. It completely cock blocks Pat Morita throughout the entire movie until he, gets his, until he receives his sensual uh, shiatsu massage or whatever. There's this little screen that comes up that they only look at when somebody, uh, like when a, a pair of their henchmen dies at the hands of the good guys, whoever they are, the CIA, Donna, and whoever their interchangeable team is. And it's literally, you see the characters' names, the group's names, after they die, and you just hear them go, doo, 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 going to this box called like the Death Zone or something like that, and they just explode in 8-bit graphics or whatever yeah it's uh a lot of high-tech thinking went into the making of this film yeah that definitely showing off some special effects and i like how he has really by the end of this movie he is really trying to hard sell that this is going to be like a really cool tv series because they all get together dressed up with their glasses of champagne ready to cheer the fact that this is over and move on to the next adventure. Uh, and I'm still trying to figure out how anybody got anywhere. I don't, I, I'm still. Well, they wrap everything up with like a nice little bow at the end of the film, but you as the audience is left with, why did we watch this film? Because it ends with, all of the good guys in a profile shot, you know, think of a Last Supper shot where everybody is awkwardly at, I assuming, a fancy dinner party, and the camera is just on them completely frontal, a frontal shot, and they decide to wrap everything up with this, with this nice, pretty little bow, but it is effing awful. The final moments of this film... The dialogue is atrocious. Some of the worst I have bared a witness to in any of these Andy Sedaris films. Yeah, I agree. I can't get over it. I shot a duck. 
<laughs> Flying full speed. <laughs> I can verify that. It'll look good on your resume. Word from Washington is that everyone's resume looks good after this operation. I knew that. You knew that? I knew that. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. But I got to ask you, two things that I was interested in, uh, one more than the other. What did you think about the sexy hoedown and the miniature classic air, uh, the remote controlled miniature classic airplane show? Okay. So I thought like working it. I really felt like they did a really, really good job. Honestly, when you think about the context, because it's one of those things, much like what does Oz being a dentist have to do? A few, a few episodes ago, you'll recall that we did, uh, we did a did it age well on the whole nine yards and all of these things in the story that pay off. Like what the heck does Oz being a dentist really have to do with the story? They focus on it so much. And then there's a huge payoff at the end of the film. And here you get the same thing. It's kind of like, I mean, surely we don't need to go to the middle of the desert to a miniature hobby air show to get a miniature helicopter just for portability's sake. Um, and like it does, and of course, how or why would these assassins know to be waiting at the air show, regardless of the fact that they have a tracker? They don't know that the people are going to Las Vegas. So, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, um, you're wondering what the whole point of having this guy give them the helicopter is. And then there's a really cool payoff for it at the end. So at least that I'll give credit where credit's due. At least that made sense. Now I think it's kind of a stupid idea to have a payoff, but at least they did put something in that you're sitting there going, but why? And then there's at least a legitimate payoff for it. So I can give it that I can, I can give the movie that. Well, 21 minutes into the movie, I'd honestly rather be watching the mini plane show than do or die. <laughs> like there was more tension in dramatic I, moments watching one of these guys land one of these remote controlled planes. <laughs> what I thought was so good about the scene though, is that they really like let the announcers just go. Like <laughs> we know what the Mustang is. Joe, we know what a P-38 Mustang, we know when they're doing it for why how? How? Why? We're going to have some giant scale planes flying. QSAA, meaning Quarter Scale Association of America, means that the airplanes have to be one-fourth the scale of a real aircraft or larger or have a minimum wingspan of 96 inches. These model aircraft are constructed of silk, balsa wood, dope, fiberglass. It's also a hobby for the whole family. Can't we just enjoy something like, oh, well, that's neat. What a nice little air show. Do we need to have all this commentary? Like, is it is it going to be on the Ocho later on? Well, I why not? No idea. I mean, because how can you take anything in a scene seriously when in the background you hear the quaint buzzing of a remote-controlled miniature classic plane? Like, aren't, aren't they like, they're inside somewhere. I think they're, they're, they are inside a plane. 
This is before there's more blatant nudity while changing clothes on a small plane, which has become a, a standard in an Andy Sedaris film, you know? True. I, I, I expect seeing people changing clothes on a miniature plane the next time I chart a flight from Molokai to Louisiana, because that's like on a monthly <laughs> basis. But really, you're watching these scenes where Eric Estrada is like, so-and-so, okay, you have to do this. It's very important you do that. You know, we're explaining character, we're explaining plot, we're explaining diabolical plans that we have to try to try to thwart. But then in the back, you hear these miniature planes buzzing around, and it's like, you know, I, I kind of want to see those things going crazy up in the air. Then hearing Eric, then the possibility of seeing Eric Estrada have sexy time with Donna. My favorite part of the sexy times with Donna is that at the very end of the scene, he jumps out of the water too. <laughs> like the whole time, he's like just kind of thrusting her out of the water and, and she's splashing as they turn around and everything. And I'm like, okay, I suppose that's how you like to have sex in the water. Um, you know, that that's... um not how I would do it and not that I would want to do that because yeah, that's not a, that's not a thing I'm, I'm in, I'm interested in. I can't but, see how somebody like Eric Estrada can take this seriously. I'm not familiar with any other role he oh, has been in except Chiss. but you know, but it's just like, you know, he does these sex scenes and they're just so random and out of place. Kind of like the yeah, security but, card excuse me, the security guard boning the lady on the front lawn. Now, if I caught my security guard boning an attractive woman on my front lawn, I would be pissed. But with these two, it was just like, yeah, you know, why not? You know, it sounds like a great idea. You know what? We have this beautiful porn music playing. We might as well hop on the good foot. But they'd been waiting since the desert to do it, and and she was really into it. And, I mean, the licking of the chest and, like... I just like how he had to put the Glock down or that whatever high-powered handgun down on the grass before he can he could go at it. It was a very sensual moment when a man has to leave his gun down on uh, he, the lawn. He has to trade one gun for another. Oh, wow. <laughs> but I, I think my favorite part of that particular scene is how she is not moving at all like i'm sorry that like anything not i wouldn't even say which lady are you talking about oh and i'm sorry in the motorcycle scene with the guard okay where they finally decide to have sex same dude we were just talking about um like she's not moving an inch from like literally midsection not even the waist like the midsection like wait hang a sec i the motorcycle sex scene is from another one no, they're having sex in front of the motorcycle. Whatever. Was it motorcycle? Was it? Are they doing yeah, it in front he's of a leaning, car? No, he's leaning in front of his motorcycle. They had all arrived there on motorcycles. And I watched this two days ago, and I watched it. The about love scenes are fifteen hours ago. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'll got, I'll take your boner for it then. Thank you, but no, seriously. So I just it's just, yeah, you're right because the previous movie did have the sex 
on the motorcycle. This is on the ground in the leaves in front of a motorcycle. It um, is sad when you start taking into consideration the artistic vision of Andy Sedaris. Well, I did like the sex on the motorcycle with the sun coming down and there were beautiful <laughs> oranges and reds in the background. Now but, what? No, we're just, done with Douglas just Fern. Like, yeah, she's literally just like rock steady and... It's just so weird to watch her trying to lean over the guy and everything while not moving the bottom half of her body. And I'm like, you know, I guess this would have worked for me when I was 12. I wouldn't have known any better. But now, four kids later, this is just kind of like, how does this work for anybody? (laughs) (laughs) And maybe it's because the proliferation of porn wasn't as prevalent as it is now. And even people in the 80s, for the most part, didn't really mind, even if they knew better. You know? I don't know. But I guess we still have to come to a decision. The hoedown? Not even the hoedown. Oh, God. Give me... I don't even want to talk about the damn hoedown. The stupid girl. Like, okay... Homeboy was like doing his best. Okay, so the okay, so girl. they go to Louisiana. We ha- we have to preface this because True. one thing I do appreciate is that they leave Hawaii, they go to Louisiana, so you at least have a different setting. True, but they go to Vegas first. So they go to Vegas, then right. they go to Louisiana. Yeah, and the best part is is that they go to Louisiana so that they could go to Cowboys Club and Restaurant, a real to place watch a, to watch a lady. Get up on stage and wear basically nothing and sing a country song while people legit danced on the floor in front of her. And so she's got a couple of people there, like her backup dancers or whatever. And Homeboy <laughs> is, I'm not joking, he looks like freaking, um, oh, uh, Peter Boyle and a young frankenstein trying to dance on this stage with his pounding down the line and the best part is is when he goes and does a handoff gesture to the other blonde chick cuz you know uh on the stage the other backup dancer chick who is wearing i'm not joking fringed white spandex shorts and she does nothing she just kind of stands there and just kind of goes yeah so and I don't know if it was meant to be funny. That's I'm questioning whether or not it was meant to be funny. I'm kind of laughing at that point. But um, yeah, that. It, but all the license plates, which I thought were so fantastic, all the license plates that they're showing around the area there in Louisiana are from Texas. So that's helpful. I, I don't know. I'm just uh, yeah. I just need to know what your decision is, I guess. Before we get to that, there's one important thing that I have highlighted in my notes, bolden, red, to stand out, that I have to say that this movie does accomplish something that is worth mentioning, and that is one of the most sexiest dressings I have ever seen. I'm not saying oh, undressing. The, I am saying an RV dressing. Yes. <laughs> what? What was that even for? I mean, all they did was get out of the RV and get into a green Volkswagen bug. <laughs> like, why? Well, she had to look good for it. I mean, but I mean, like <laughs> that. I watched that, and it, like it was enough for me. 
to write a note. <laughs> I just I'm sitting there watching that. Um, I even had the wife sit down and, uh, you know, she was kind of halfway paying attention to it. Even I had to stop. I'm like, wait, no, you watch this. She's like, what the hell is this even for? And I'm like, and this is what I'm saying. So yeah, neither one of us could figure out what the hell that was about. I'm just kind of like, you know, okay. But did you like it? Again. When I was 12, I would have been over the moon for it. Today, I'm sitting here going, um, well, I guess she's got a butt. So there's Well, that. it's great. It's a three it's a 3-minute dressing and she probably has two articles of clothing. She has the G-string and then the pants, and that's it. Yeah, it's insane. <laughs> um, okay, so what did I think about the film? I hate saying this because I actually had a lot of fun watching it and I watched it by myself. I think it says something when you can watch something you have a good by yourself and you have a good time viewing it. I can only imagine what it would be like watching it like with you, Matt. Obviously, probably we would have clothes on if we were watching it together. But I, I cannot say I'm, that it's... I'm willing to let your shiatsu hands give it a try. <laughs> Just as long as you moan like Pat Morita currently. Oh, um, oh. <laughs> but I don't th- I cannot say that this movie is creme de la crap because the production value, the directing, the oomph behind the film felt more not top of the notch, but production-wise felt better than some of their previous flicks from the 80s. Now, it could just be the 90s, and it definitely gives that whole vibe of you're watching a 90s action flick, like you're watching um, uh, 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 Walker, Texas Ranger. You know, when you watch Walker, Texas Ranger, you know this is just a goofy freaking early 90s TV show, but there's something very entertaining about it. Like, it has, like, this earnestness that you can get behind. Well... Do or Die has that, but it's neither good, but it's not really awful either. So I can't really say that it's creme de la crap. Oh, I agree. I spent the first half of the movie laughing and enjoying all of the ridiculousness and sitting there going, oh my gosh, it's finally back to form. We're going to have, we're going to have a winner. And then as soon as the back half of the movie starts, it, the ridiculousness is no longer laughable. It's just bad, and it it completely loses its luster um, and does not – it just does not maintain that uh, – it, it's the strength of its impetus. So um, it's definitely not the worst of the creme de la crop. I would say it's not even the worst of the uh, Sedaris movies that we've seen so far, but is it creme de la crap? I, too, say no. Bam. Yeah. Or boing. Or not. (laughs) Or flaccid. Well, join us next time for a copycat throwdown as we'll be comparing 1946's The Big Sleep, starring Humphrey Bogart, and 1976's The Big Sleep, starring Robert Mitchum. We hope you tune in. The music for our show is brought to you by Kevin McLeod from Incompetech.com. That's I-N-C-O-M-P-E-T-E-C-H.com. 
Hustle, Shaving Mirror, The Curtain Rises, and Slow Burn are the song titles used on the program. You can find our show over at slscast.com, on Spotify, iTunes, and other podcast directories. We're also on Twitter, at the SLScast, and you can always send us an email to the show at slscast.com. Take care, cinephiles, and we'll talk to you again next time. Over? Did you say over? Nothing is over until we decide it is! Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? A tough get going! Who's with me? Let's go! Go!